Welcome back, everyone, to the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. We have a very full episode for you today. We are going to be going over our outfield rankings part two, 30 through 50 for both Richie and I. And then we are going to go ahead and dive right into starting pitching. We have 70 names for you. But today, we're going to start part one. So we will see how far we're going to make it with all 70 of these players. But Richie, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Spring training has started. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you and I both got to watch our mm. first live action this weekend. And is the juice ball back or not? That is the the question we're asking ourselves. A lot of home runs in these first couple days. Love to see it, especially Garrett Mitchell hitting two Brewers of Prospect for those of you who don't know our history, Matt and I are from the Wisconsin area and are hardcore Brewers fans. So we love to see that. So it's very exciting. From yeah, I, uh, I called you today and I was like, it's back. Juice Ball's here. Um, and I obviously I think <laughs> that was just... We might be overreacting. Yeah, I think that might just be a little bit of an overreaction to start. But um, a lot of home runs today. And, you know, a guy that's actually in my outfield rankings here, Jared Kelnick had two absolute beautiful missiles today. Um, you know, Vladdy's got two home runs in spring now. We You talked about Garrett Mitchell hitting two. Juan Soto had an absolute nuke today. Just a lot of really great home runs, a lot of really fun baseball with the pitch clock. You know, we saw uh, James Karinchek today have an issue where he had an auto ball when he was ask, actually asking for a new baseball. So a little fun pun there to play with and then presume to strike the batter out on the next pitch. So I think we're still seeing a lot of adjustment from these players. I haven't seen as many steals as I expected. I think that'll probably pick up as spring training progresses. But Richie, let's jump right into it here. We're going to be starting off with outfield rank 31 through 50, but let's do your top five and kind of blow through these guys. What do you got? When you say top five, are you saying like my top overall, or are you saying what were you going for? Yeah, here? no, start me off with 31, and we'll run us through for the first five. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm just going to go through my first seven because I have this tier labeled my solid safe guys for outfielders. So. Um, on our last podcast, you mentioned your number 30 is Andrew Vaughn. That is my number 31. Following that, I got Brandon Nimmo, Seiya Suzuki, Jake McCarthy, Jeff McNeil, Ian Happ, and Stephen Kwan. These guys are not sexy. They're kind of boring, but you know what you're going to get out of them. They're all going to hit probably more than 250, push close to 300, and give you decent home runs. But they're not going to break out in my mind, and they have a pretty solid floor. You know what you're getting with these guys i'm okay with any of these as my number three outfielder i don't feel the greatest about it because if i get bored with them or they slump they could easily be waiver wire um junk but for the most part they're pretty solid yeah i think at this point we're really looking at certain aspects and just looking at who presumably can be your last outfielder or who can be the guy that's going to fill in for injuries so if you're really looking at these guys and you're looking at that from a perspective of like injury base, who's the number one guy that you would want to have on your bench? I think I'd take Jake McCarthy just because he had a, a hot end of the season, plays for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've got a young core group of guys that you and I both like, and I like the upside there, um, especially in categories. I think he provides some from some stolen bases, especially with the new rules. If I'm playing in points, I'm probably going for Andrew Vaughn or, say, a Suzuki. You know, 
from our podcast last year, I didn't like Seiya Suzuki because I figured the league would adjust to him, which they did. But near the end of the season, he sort of adjusted back to them. So I'm curious to see what happens in this second year for Seiya Suzuki. Do we finally see consistent home runs from him? I want to, I'd be willing to take a shot on him as my third outfielder. So out of that group, those are probably the two that I'd be most excited because I think they have the highest ceiling out of this group. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, our tiers are very similar here. Starting off 31 for me, I have Brandon Nimmo. I think what you're getting here is a very plug and play third outfielder. I think you're going to get a couple more counting stats out of him this season as that team continues to progress. And you're looking for a healthy season. We want to see more power out of Nimmo. So far, we haven't seen that. I think this year may be the season where we see a little more power progression. Tyler O'Neill is coming in at 32 for me. We need to see that batting average continue to improve. We saw a great 2021 season, a poor 2022 season. I'm hoping that we see a rebound because if there is any bit of a rebound, you're going to be getting value in Tyler O'Neill. 33, I actually have a breakout candidate in Riley Green. I think with the improved wall play that we're seeing in uh, Comerica Park, I think we're going to see more power from him. We're going to see more speed with the rule changes. And you just have to remember a year ago, he was a highly touted prospect. I think he is falling under the radar a little bit this year. Uh, Jake McCarthy comes in at 34 for me. I think you're seeing a poor man's Riley Green uh, profile here. I think, again, in categories in Roto, he's a guy that you can grab. Definitely a plug-and-play third outfielder until you can find someone on the waiver wire that may give you more production. But you do get speed in McCarthy. And then Seiya Suzuki, I think you said it perfectly. I think he had an up-and-down season, but I do think he is a major league player, and I think this is the perfect year for him to be that third outfielder with the opportunity, if he has a big year, to become a number two outfielder for you in fantasy. Those are my guys to start off this outfield tier. Richie, why don't you go ahead and give me your next tier? Yeah, the next tier I have labeled as my bounce backs and high ceiling tiers. So it's going to be a lot. It's 38 through 45. And I had a tough time ranking where where I like these guys. But starting off at 38, I have Cody Bellinger, 39, Jesse Winker, 40, Mashitaka Yoshida for the Red Sox, 41, Lars Nupar, 42, Brian De La Cruz of the Miami Marlins, 43, Riley Green, 44, Oscar Gonzalez, and then 45, Oscar Colas. Now, I have Cody Bellinger at the top because this is a guy who bet on himself. He signed a one-year deal with the Chicago Cubs. He's maintained his power throughout his career, primarily hitting right around 20 home runs. His average is what's been tanking, sub-200. I think he's motivated to get a bigger contract. You know, he's playing in Chicago. The wind, the Windy City favors that home run swing he has i'm curious to see if playing in a lesser division in the nl central will help with his resurgence i don't know i'm i'm a little on the fence on if i'm completely buying it but all those factors we talk about all the time the contract years somebody who's motivated i think that helps him in his favor lars Nupar is a favorite breakout uh, amongst the industry if you look at his baseball savant page I have to just mimic what everybody else is saying. You look at it, it's all red, above 80% on everything, except for his expected batting average in the 49th percentile. This is a guy who's probably going to hit you 30 home runs or more if he stays in the lineup, but you're probably getting a 230, 240 average is what I'm expecting. And then lastly, I like Riley Green, Oscar Gonzalez, Oscar Colas. 
in any of my drafts, I'm trying to get at least one of those guys because they have immense upside. Riley Green, you touched on it just briefly with the changes to Comerica Park, and it's his second year. I think he was dealing with a little bit of those injuries last year, never fully healed, and I think that's why he struggled, and I think he could have a good resurgence this year. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you this outright. Uh, Bellinger doesn't crack my top 50. His current spring training strikeout rate is at 50%. You know, it's uh, it's been a very rough spring for Cody Bellinger in his one game. Um, no, one I one game. I one really game sample size. I I still love have a little bit of hope to hate I still get Cody. A little bit of hope. Uh, my hope is gone after last year. Um, I I still think there's opportunity. Um, I just I have a problem with a player that doesn't seem as though he gives a shit and that's obviously not something that we should put into the equation here for fantasy but for me it is because it's both the analytical side as well as the you know personal scout side I just haven't seen it from Cody Bellinger I don't think you're wrong to put him where you put him I just can't put him in my top 50 because personally I'm not touching him uh you know I have Joey Manessis at 50 which we'll get to in a little bit here but I'm taking Joey Manessis over Cody Bellinger to me I obviously equate upside into my rankings which is why i have riley green at 33 there is absolutely no way i'm looking at upside in comparison to the risk for cody bellinger again i don't think you're wrong that's just my stance and well and realistically at this point with these rankings like i said i like riley green oscar gonzalez oscar Colas. in the point of the draft we're in the 200s now that's an outfielder i like usually i'm probably not touching any of my last tier or most of this tier and just those three I mentioned, and then pretty much our sleepers, because we've talked about on our last podcast, we want to fill our outfield in those top tiers. That's where the money is. This is kind of, you're boring. I don't really like that many of these guys, but they have to be ranked, and you can't deny what their statistics are and the circumstances that they're in. Okay, so here's my question, though. The upside you talked about with your three young guns, you're going to tell me that in the draft – if given an opportunity, you're going to pass up on the three of them and you're going to take Cody Bellinger. Depending, if Cody Bellinger falls to the range where they're getting drafted, I will take Cody Bellinger over really? any of those three. Okay. Yes. Okay. But where Cody Bellinger is going now and where I have him ranked, I can't take him because of those on the fence. So no, abso- I get falls. that. Absolutely. I, I'm saying in a vacuum, you know, you get to choose the four of these guys and you're taking Cody Bellinger. I, I respect it. Yes. I personally no doubt in my mind I'm taking Cody Bellinger. I personally because yeah. you're hoping that any of those three guys can produce the the ceiling that Cody Bellinger had a couple years ago. Now I get he's not that same guy, but he has it in him. I know he has it in him. He just I get needs what you're to saying. figure you're, it you're out. Saying, and I think the Chicago Cubs can fix him. The Dodgers yeah. couldn't. The Cubs might. You're saying even sixty percent of Cody Bellinger's MVP season is like the ceiling for our three young guns. And I, I, I agree with that. I really do. I, I think the only one of those three well, that could possibly push the ceiling is Riley Green because you're talking about a possible 15, 30, 300 guy. Now, again, that's best case scenario. But I think Cody Bellinger's, you know, realistic new ceilings probably 260 with 30 home runs, which is a great season, right? Like, and that in itself, you'd have to then ask yourself, okay, well, is Riley Green's ceiling compared to Bellinger's? Like, which league are we looking at here? And, like, where does the value lie? I think that's a much different conversation. But, again, Cody Bellinger, you know, and, and Riley Green, like, they have a lot. They both have a lot to prove this season. All, all four of these guys do. 
Um, okay. With that being said, nice little debate there. Um, I have at 36 Yoshida. Moving forward for me, what I'm looking at in this next tier is really either consistency or upside. And again, in a league format too, Stephen Kwan's coming up. You know, do I need steals? Um, do I need do I need average? So Yoshida comes in at 36 for me. Nick Castellanos comes in at 37. I'm looking for a bounce back from him. I'm looking for the counting stats of home runs, RBIs, runs in that lineup. Stephen Kwan comes in at 38 for me. You have the batting average. You have the potential of steals. You have the on-base percentage. 39, I have Alex Verdugo. Same lament as I had with Kwan. Probably a little bit less speed, a little bit less batting average, but you are going to get a consistent player. He is going to be very average. We know that. Coming in at 40 to end my tier here is Lars Nubar. You said it perfectly. I think industry standard people are absolutely talking about an immense breakout, but the problem is playing time. If Jordan Walker cracks that spring training lineup, as we saw a home run today from him, you're going to have a real problem with playing time for Newt Bar. Now, obviously, I think Dylan Carlson will probably lose his job, his job to Newt Bar, but we saw a very consistent player at the end of the year last year. We saw him possibly, and for some teams, win championships because of a late season pickup. So I really do like him, but again, playing time is my concern. So Verdugo slides in above him. Who do you have next on your list? Yeah, my 46 through 50 is uh, Alex Verdugo, Will Myers at 47. 48, I got Alex Kirilov, 49, Michael Conforto, and 50, Joey Manessas. I have Verdugo just outside of the previous tier because he doesn't have that upside. I think we've seen the guy who Alex Verdugo is, and he doesn't have as much of a ceiling as the previous tier. And I also don't like the line of construction around him, the Boston Red Sox outside of Rafael Devers and maybe Justin Turner. You know, they lost J.D. Martinez. They lost Xander Bogarts. They bring in Mashitaka Yoshida, and that's pretty much all they did besides Justin Turner, who I think is personally washed up. I don't like the protection he has around him. Will Myers, I like. He's going to Cincinnati. Um... You know, going from San Diego, that's a better ballpark. Maybe he can get a, a revival in his career and hit some more home runs. Yet to be see Alex Kirloff, love the player, don't love his wrist. He is consistently injured, and I just can't buy into it. And Michael Conforto and Joey Manessis, I like, um, but I also feel you could be dropping them whenever they have a cold, cold week. So at this point in the rankings... I feel like you're just rolling the dice and hoping one sticks. That's yeah. kind of my thoughts. My, I, pretty much after that last tier is where I don't like any of the outfielders. Well, and my, it's, my tier is the exact same. I have 40 through 50. It's, it's the same concept here. It's drafting for upside or drafting to kind of uh, minimize the risk you've taken at other positions. I think Manessis is a guy, at least in Roto, that – you can draft and just know, hey, he's probably going to get me that consistent 260, 270 batting average. He'll probably get me 20 home runs, probably get me 70 RBIs, probably get me 60 runs. Like, I'm happy with that as opposed to taking the risk in upside of a possible Joey Gallo or a Jared Kelnick. Um, but I'm going to run through it here. 41, I have Conforto. I think we are looking for a bounce back. I think we are looking to be looking for an individual signing a one-year deal that wants to sign a contract after losing out on over $100 million from the Mets and an off-season injury in 2022. I have Alex Kurloff at 42. I still do see the upside. I know there's the risk concern, but you know it, it, he's either going to bounce back or he's not going to have a major league career. I'm hoping for a bounce back. I think we could get a really good player out of him. I think we could see a top 30 outfielder next year if he can minimize the injury bug. 
Will Myers at 43, you said a best new ballpark playing in Cincinnati. There's a lot of opportunity for him to kind of bounce back into the fantasy relevant player. I have Jared Kelnick at 44. Loved what I saw today. He actually jumped into my top 50 because of his performance today. And obviously that's one of the big things in spring training you want to avoid is overreaction. And I'm saying screw it. Uh, love the <laughs> fact that, you know, Jared Kelnick could revitalize his career. Again, similar to a guy like Riley Green, but even deeper into his pro career. This was a number one level prospect. Organizationally, top 10 overall, overall Major League Baseball prospect. I think we could see Jared Kelnick figure it out. If he decides to go more towards the contact approach with the ability to hit those line drives like we've been begging him to do and kind of pull off the power, hopefully get that batting average up, hopefully get that strikeout rate down, and then figure out how to hit lefties. You could see a very good outfielder here, but I'm telling you at 44, put him on your bench. 45, I have Joey Gallo. I think we could see a really nice Joey Gallo bounce back this year with the band and the shift. Obviously, you have the power there. Uh, love the fact that he's going to be getting more playing time. 46, I have Oscar Colais. Uh, Col- Do I pronounce it Colias or Colais, Richie? I thought it was Oscar Colas. Colas, there you go. Oscar Colas um, finally making his Major League debut after a long-anticipated prospect line. Uh, I do think we're going to see a good player here. My concern is swing and miss. It is whiff. If this individual can connect, you're talking about a very high-end player. Uh, I think you're talking about possibly a top 30 player as well next year. Uh, you have speed, you have power. 47, I have Seth Brown. You pretty much know what you're going to get with him. 220 batting average, 230 batting average. Get you some home runs playing in an absolutely awful uh, lineup there in Oakland. Trey Mancini coming in at 48. Jock Peterson at 49. And Joey Manessis at 50 rounds out my outfield rankings. Richie, any thoughts on the rankings? Pretty much similar to yours. No, I personally think you are slightly overreacting to Jared Kelnick. The one thing I mentioned to you off the air was with all these home runs, we have to remember that a lot of these pitchers are just trying to refine their pitches, find their command, and a lot of them are double-A or triple-A players. I was watching the Angels game, and Rendon and Hunter Renfro hit back-to-back home runs, but it was off Jimmy Lambert, who is not a starting pitcher for the Chicago White Sox. I don't think he's even in their bullpen, and he's one of their minor league guys. So just something to to – I don't want to – rain on your parade with Jared Kelnick, but just something to keep in the back of your head. I don't know who he had hit his home run off of, but if it's a major leaguer, I'll carry some more weight on that. But um, just something to keep in mind with spring training. Yeah, I mean, I pulled it up right here. It's uh, it's actually pretty impressive. It says it was Sandy Koufax. Um, gosh, that's... Uh, <laughs> Get out of here. No, but I, I fully agree with you. And this is something, that, you know, obviously I had mentioned in there with the overreaction for spring there are certain players, especially certain players that I'm looking to either break out, bounce back, that I'm going to be monitoring throughout spring. And it's not necessarily the home runs that I'm looking for. It's the strikeout rate. It's the ability to show patience. It's the ability on the base pass to, if you can't make an impact with your bat, possibly making it on the bases. And also defensively. I saw a few balls played in the outfield today, and it made me honestly laugh out loud because these are professional players making routine plays look hard. And those individual variables are going to obviously play into playing time. So there are definitely details to look into for spring training. Home runs, power, not necessarily one because you did say, you know, they're playing against lesser tier talent here. But definitely keeping an eye on strikeouts, patience at the plate, some things that you can actually look into and possibly project into the regular season. But again, a lot of these guys are working on certain things of their game could definitely not translate as well. 
So a lot to think about. Now that our outfield rankings are done, Richie, it is time to get into the meat of the rankings of the offseason. It is starting pitching time. So we will start off. What do you think? I say we do 30 today and we kind of blow through the, the final 40 on our next episode. Yeah, we can do that. I have I have a teardrop off at 27 or 34. So I'm, I'll finish either at 27 or 34. I'll let you choose where you want to go. So I've got. I actually got I agree with you. I have, a, I've I have got a, four tiers. Yeah, I have a teardrop four off tiers of, after okay. 27. Are you after 27 or are you at 27? At 27. Could, so my perfect. 27th pitcher is the last in my fourth tier. I love that. That's actually very similar to mine. So we will go through 27 starting pitchers. And I'll tell you right now, um, I got to 70 today, and I had just more on the list. And, you know, other industry podcasts and ranking uh, material is going to go all the way into the hundreds. We're just not going to do that on this show because, for the most part, you know, our listening audience isn't as large as we'd like it to yet. I'd like it to be yet. And in regards to everyone after, you know, this, the 60, 70 mark is, is question marks. So, you know, for those of you that are listening, we're going to talk as much as we can about these classifications and these rankings. Uh, but what we're really going to do is try to evaluate, you know, what I rather have individual X, Y, Z. So we'll do our best to break those down for you and you will have 70 of them for you overall. But, uh, Richie, go ahead and give me your first tier. Yeah. My first tier I labeled the aces. Um, there's six in here, and I'll just run through them. Number one, I got Corbin Burns. Number two, I have Garrett Cole. Number three, Justin Verlander. Number four, Max Scherzer. Number five, Sandy Alcantara. And number six, Jacob DeGrom. Now, I know those last two are probably questionable, but in my mind, I think they're aces. Sandy Alcantara, you're going to get the workload. You're going to get – I don't think there's an, a person – in the major leagues besides Sandy that I'm pretty confident is going to go seven or eight innings every single time, regardless of the opponent. Jacob deGrom scares me a little bit, but just knowing what he can do when he's on the field, I have to label him in the aces classification. Corbin Burns, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander. I was flipping back and forth with all of them on who should be number one, two or three ultimately landed on Corbin Burns being number one because he has the strikeout ability. And I think he's going to be extra motivated after losing his arbitration case and hearing that he is disappointed in the Brewers organization. I think he's going to be fired up to have an um, immense season. And Garrett Cole gives up home runs a lot. That's the one downside, which was the ultimate factor between um, ranking him one and two and Justin Verlander simply age, you know, he's, almost 40, if not 40 already. And at some point, father time's going to catch up to you. Um, yeah, that pretty much wraps up my first tier. Any thoughts on that, Matt? I know you have your rankings slightly different in a different order. So I'm curious your arguments. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to go over my rankings here in just a moment, but I wanted to just comment on Justin Verlander because it was a challenge for me as well with age as well as the uh, soft approach that Houston took with him last year. He had 175 innings in the regular season. He had 20 innings in the postseason. Pair that all together, he had 195 innings. This is an individual that was coming back after, a, I think, almost a full two-year absence. Am I correct, Richie? Because he missed the 20 Yeah, because of Tommy John. Yeah. And to pitch 195 innings in your first year back is pretty incredible, first and foremost. And we saw him absolutely dominate. He was a Cy Young winner last year. 
And looking at this season and projecting forward, my opinion has changed quite a bit over the offseason because I was initially worried about, A, injury concern. You know, he had the issue with the calf a little bit last year. He's older. But I'm actually expecting 220 innings out of Justin Verlander this year. I think they're absolutely going to ride him. And I think he's got two years left in the tank. It's a two-year deal with the Mets. Max Scherzer also on that two-year deal. They are going to burn through their older veterans with the hopes of riding into the postseason and winning a World Series. So Justin Verlander has moved up my rankings quite a bit from my original rank, and I actually have quite a bit of confidence in him. So starting off, I do think that we have the uh, singularity with Garrett Cole, you having Corbin Burns. We obviously both roster each individual in our Dynasty League, I having Cole, you having Burns. I think we probably have some individual bias, whether we want to admit it or not there. The reason I have Cole number one is the strikeout effect. I also am hoping and essentially forecasting a better ERA this season. He was around 3-5 last year. I think that's going to come closer to 3. You're going to get the injuries. You have the um, almost sure bet health from Cole. Obviously, knock on wood there. So that is one of the big reasons he comes in at number one, but the strikeouts is definitely my number one variable. I have Sandy Alcantara coming in number two. Uh, Mr. Reliable last year obviously had the most longevity in regards to pitching through games last year in innings. I think we're going to see more of those innings again this year. Justin Verlander is at number three. He would be number two, but again, there is the age, so I had to have Alcantara number two. Uh, coming in at number four is Corbin Burns. Uh, I think exactly the opposite of what you thought this year. I think there has been a lot of inconsistency in Corbin Burns' play. Um, I just don't necessarily know which version of Corbin Burns we're going to get this year. Is it the version that absolutely dominated Major League Baseball the first half of last year, or is it the individual that really struggled on the stretch? And then at number five, I have Mad Max. Uh, Again, big concern here is age. And unlike uh, Verlander, he's had a few more health hiccups throughout the last couple of years, which has definitely concerned me forecasting him into the 2023 season. And I also think there could be a chance that both him and Verlander come September, come playoff baseball for us playing fantasy baseball, could have starts skipped. And that is absolutely dangerous when you're talking about your ace. So both of those individuals keep that in the back of your head. I like that. Um, and I, the, the one thing I'll say about Corbin Burns is he did have a rough patch there in August, but he turned it around to finish out the season. So that doesn't really concern me as much. I don't know if that was just because he was finally getting his innings up, getting closer to that 200 um, innings when he didn't do it before. So it's just curious to see. I think he has built it up and can do it again, but it's yet to be seen. Uh, moving on to my number Real two quick, tier. Who is your, yeah. if you were to pick one of these guys, that's your scare, like your scariest. Um, Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think that's that's pretty easy. Easily. Yeah. Okay. Um, as much as I like him and where he's ranked, I, I can't touch him. Just for the simple fact of I live by the rule of you can't win your draft in, or you can't win your league early in the draft, but you can sure as shit lose it. And when you draft high-variance players like a Mike Trout, like a Jacob deGrom, like um, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head, but there's complete injury-prone people who are injured every single season, I can't bank an early round pick on that, regardless of how high that upside is. I just can't, well, we can't would have, come to terms with it. We would have said Aaron Judge until last year, right? Like, always showcased the ability to be the best player in baseball, but could never stay on the field. 
And, you know, one MVP season later, everyone has completely forgotten that Aaron Judge, at the end of the day, is a very large human being and injury prone. And now he has the money. You know, I, I, I have not heard that from any industry um, expert yet. And it's very shocking just one season how it can change the profile. So, you know, maybe DeGrom this season can stay healthy all year and everyone's like, OK, he's back. You know, and he absolutely dominates fantasy baseball uh, as well as professional baseball. But I, I think you're spot on with that. Yeah. All right. My second tier, I have good number one. So they're not quite the aces that I like. Like they don't completely stand out. But I got Shohei Otani. Then I got Spencer Strider, Shane McClanahan, Zach Wheeler, Brandon Woodruff, and then Aaron Nola. With these guys, Zach Wheeler, Brandon Woodruff, Aaron Nola, I like them as my number ones. But I feel they don't have as high as strikeout upside as that previous tier. Or they don't have the volume because Sandy doesn't get the strikeouts, but you know he's giving you the volume. Yes, Aranola, Woodruff, or Wheeler, can they go six, seven innings? Yes, but I don't fully expect them to go seven, eight, or nine every single time like Sandy can. Spencer Strider, he would be in this top tier. He just doesn't have the innings yet. If he pushes to that 175-200 range this season, I think he's easily the number one or two pitcher um, moving forward from here on out. And then who else? Shane McClanahan for the simple shoulder issues he had last year is why I can't put him as a true ace for me. And Otani, just the simple fact of potential of starts getting skipped and possibly a six-man rotation and just the Angels being careful with him. And that's why I can't rank them as high as the other tier I have. Yeah, I love that. Um, My next tier is a tier three, and then I'll, I'll push into the same tier that you have, which is that ace tier. But, but not full-blown, you know, number one draft choice. And my next tier is ace or ouch. Um, and I'm kicking off this with Spencer Strider. My only concern with Spencer Strider is an injury because of the injury, the innings and the lack thereof of innings in his uh, so far pro career. You know, you said it. If he hits 175-200 this year, he's going to be an absolute superstar, and he will be in my top five next year. The question is, does he incur an injury because last year took such a toll on his body. Now at number six, I'm looking for him to be above Shane McClanahan, who's at seven, because we have the health concerns currently going into the season after what we saw at the end of last year. So I would rather have Strider knowing that there currently is not an injury. And at number eight, I have Jacob deGrom. I am not sold, much like you are not sold. The injury is a huge concern. I'm expecting it with Jacob deGrom unlike I am with Shane McClanahan with hoping he'll be okay, and then with uh, Spencer Strider hoping he just won't get hurt. So with those regards, that's my ace or ouch tier. Um, love these guys, but I'm probably staying away from all of them in regards to where they're being taken as well as the concern with the injury. Moving into the next yeah. tier, I thought the same thing um, you did. Guys are great. I would absolutely love to have them as a number two. Probably not going to happen in snake drafts. Um, it's just not realistic. I have Zach Wheeler at 9, Shohei Otani at 10, Rodon at 11, Shane Bieber at 12, Julio Urias at 13, and Aaron Nola at 14. So I kind of gave you a lot there, Richie. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm trying to digest it all right now. <laughs> well, let's talk, um, about, let's talk about Strider, McClenahan, and DeGrom, right? Like, those three have immense upside. So, but there's, so there's much variance. Their floor, their floor is so low. Yeah, I'm probably not getting any of these guys. As much as I like them, I, I can't stomach spending such 
so much of my draft capital, whether it's snake or auction, on these guys knowing that they could be out for half the season or longer because Shane McClanahan had a shoulder impingement and did horrible when he came back. You have Spencer Strider, never done it, done it before, and he's getting drafted as if he's done it for three years in a row when in reality he's only done it for I think 130 some innings and some of them came out some of those innings came out of the bullpen bullpen. so I give that an asterisk in my mind and then DeGrom I'm not going to spend too much time on it because anybody listening to podcasts for baseball knows what DeGrom is and knows he's injured every single year so let's look at uh, my tier 9 through 14. I'm going to go over them again for you. You know, Zach Wheeler comes in at number 9, Shohei Otani at 10, Carlos Rodon at 11, Shane Bieber at 12, Urias, Julio Urias at 13, and Aaron Nola at 14. If you look at this tier ranking here, if you were to pick one of them that could vault themselves into the bona fide ace category at the end of 2023, who would you be putting your money on? Probably Otani, but um, it, I feel like that's the cop-out answer. Well, it's hard if because he, to, he pitches I think it'd be, once a week, right? I think I would choose Aaron Nola. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's on a contract year. He always gets bad luck with his underlying statistics. He did great last year. Now, this is a odd year, and we know he has bad years and odd years, so does he buck that trend? Because um, in 2021, he had a 4.63 ERA, and last year he had a 3.25 ERA. Um, plays for a great team. You know, they got Trey Turner. Bryce Harper's coming back in the middle of the season. I think he can get some wins with that newfound team. Um, yeah, I think that's the one I would be him or Zach Wheeler. Um, just because of the, the lineup construction they have around them, I think you can get quality starts wins when a team goes up three nothing early the pressure off of that pitcher is immense i mean baseball is partially a psychological game how much weight off your shoulders is it when your team is up going into the game you know yeah i my concern with the phillies is two-sided a the ballpark right we've seen this for a number of years that is not a pitcher friendly ballpark and b they play in a very top-heavy division. They have to face the Mets and the Braves, and that's a challenge, I think, for anyone. Now you get to feed on the Nationals as well as the Marlins. Those lineups are pitiful, right? So you have that polarity of having top-heavy, low-heavy. Um, that's a big concern for me. I think if I were to pick one of these players to vault into the ace-level status, I'm going to pick two. It's Urias or Rodon, and it comes down to who can stay healthy, right? Rodon has proven himself over the last year and a half to be a very good player, but we still have those concerns of his early career, which is the track record of consistent injuries. And with Urias, we've seen an up-and-down inconsistent showing so far, kind of built up on the Dodgers' incredible team. If Urias can come out this season and continue to perform the way he has over, I'd say, the last you know year and a half, but do so and take a step forward, I think Urias instantly becomes a bona fide ace as Max Scherzer probably falls out of that ace tier. And Rodon, obviously, is going to be kind of mixed with the same concerns that I had in Philly, which is the ballpark of New York. 
right? And it's no joke. He has to face the the Rays, who is a very scrappy team. He has to face a very powerful lineup in the Blue Jays. But again, he does get to play a bad Boston team as well, um, and a rebuilding Orioles Orioles team. So, it's concerns fair. Fair. and questions. Let me right? ask you this. Let me ask you this. There is a pitcher in my rankings, number eleven, Brandon Woodruff, who you did not mention in your top fourteen. Curious why you don't have him, and is it if it's because of the injury he sustained earlier in the season? I pulled it up since he came back on June twenty eighth to the end of the season. He had a two thirty eight ERA over the course of eight games, one hundred nine point two innings, and had a hundred and thirty seven strikeouts. To me, it seems like he's back and as studly as ever. I'm just curious why you don't have him here. But if you have him number fifteen or where you have him, then that, I could see the reasoning behind that. Yeah, I have him at 16. Um, okay, fair enough. Brandon Woodruff, to me, oh, God. he He's just – he's Mr. Consistent in regards to you know what you're going to get, but I'm I'm banking on upside of everyone ahead of him. So I just ahead of him, I have Dylan Cease. And we saw an incredible season from Dylan Cease. Industry-wide, people are expecting him to be a bust this season. But I'm looking at it. Best case scenario for Cease. Best case scenario for Woodruff. I'm taking Dylan Cease. Uh, strikeouts are there much like they are for Woodruff. But at the end of the day, I think Dylan Cease even has more in his tank. We know what Brandon Woodruff is now at his absolute ceiling. My concern is, you know, is he not going to hit the same ceiling as the 15 guys ahead of him? So I'm drafting purely on upside. And I did it from the perspective of if I have Dylan Cease and Brandon Woodruff right there in the draft, who am I taking? No matter the format, because they are similar strikeout-based pitchers, I'm taking Dylan Cease. Um, also, when, no, you look at it, when you look at it, they play in similar divisions, right? It's really the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Reds are bad. The Pirates are bad. The Cubs, with all of their additions, are still pretty bad. Indians are nice, but they're a pitching-heavy team. You know, you have the Tigers, who are very young and could go one way or the other. The Twins have question marks in themselves. Uh, and then you have the Royals, who are still a very young team. So there's a lot of opportunity for both of them to feast on their divisions. I think at 15-16, I really like where both of them line up. You know, if Cease isn't there, I'm happy with Woodruff. If Woodruff's not there, happy with Cease. Definitely kind of a, uh, a paired at the hip ranking for me. That's fair. I just was curious. Um, well, having said that, I will just jump into my um, number three tier, which I labeled my number twos, but have number one upside. So starting off, I have number 13, Carlos Rodon. Simply the only reason why he didn't make that other tier is because of the the increase in inning innings pitch. I think he went 170 some last year and the year before that was 130 and those were both career highs for him. So does he repeat it and going to Yankees stadium um, are the two reasons why I don't have him as my good number ones tier. Um, then I have Dylan Cease um, just for the simple fact of his walk rate. Number 15, I have Shane Bieber. Then 16, Alec Manoa. 17, Fran Valdez. 18, Julio Urias, 19, Luis Castillo, and then 20, Max Freed. When I'm looking at this tier, I see a lot of similar guys that are going to give you solid strikeout rates, but they're going to be okay in the ERA department. And I I feel Max Freed, Julio Urias, Framber Valdez, and Alec Manoa are all very similar pitchers in their outcomes. Like, they're not crazy strikeout guys. 
but they're solid everywhere else. You know what you're getting on them. The one caveat is Luis Castillo. He's going to be a flamethrower strikeout guy. It just is the ERA going to be there for him. And I like him being in the Seattle Mariners ballpark. Um, and that's why I like him in this tier. Any thoughts on this tier, Matt? Yeah, we have a very similar tier here as well. Um, I'm honestly, I think I have this like subsector tier. So 17 for me is Max Freed. 18 is Luis Castillo. If I have to have them as my number one, I'm not so upset. Um, if I have to have anyone else that I'm just going to talk about moving forward, you know, and, and next in the rankings, I'm not satisfied. So for me, <clears throat> 17, 18, like if I'm pitch or if I'm hitting heavy and I'm able to nab one of these guys, I'll, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll have to go pitching heavy, obviously moving forward in the draft and kind of pair some guys to really make up for not having a bona fide ace or even a guy that I think could become an ace, which is the last tier. And, you know, that is the Dylan C's Brandon Woodruff kind of cut off for me. But Max Freed and Luis Castillo have that ability. You just have question marks. Freed's health, you know, he didn't capture as many wins last year as he should have. I expect this year for him to push that 20-win threshold, especially being on a very good Braves team. And Luis Castillo, right, had a very up-and-down last couple of years. Coming over to Seattle, dominated after that trade. Are we going to see that over a full season? And if we see that over a full season, he's an absolute steal at 18. Uh, and then moving into the next tier is exactly what you said. These are the guys that I think are going to provide you great number two um, upside and stability. But to me, there's absolutely no shot they go ahead and push for that number uh, one position. And that's even moving into 2024. So for me at 19, I have Framber Valdez. Uh, the absolute most league setting record for, uh, I think, with quality complete game or quality, quality starts quality starts was I think it you had 25 in a row was it consecutive right because it wasn't actual yeah. yeah consecutive which was incredible and i had him last year and it was he talk about set it and forget it guys you know we talk about that a lot in fantasy football but valdez was that for for baseball last year it was incredible every time he went out i knew i was getting 18 points out of him it didn't even matter if they won or not that's just incredible and we're going to see that change this year because of the shift he definitely benefited from the shift with his whip as well as his ERA. Expect both of those to go up a little bit because he is a ground ball pitcher. But immense talent there. I, I would love to have him as my number two. And number 20, I have Alec Manoa. You know, different regard, a little higher strikeout rate. Um, but we've seen him for two straight years now perform very, very well. I have his counterpart, Kevin Gosman, there at 21. Like him a lot. Uh, and coming in, kind of ending this tier for me where I'm very happy with them as my number two is going to be you, Darvish. Got the contract now. You know, I think he's finally shaken off the rust after Tommy John in a very, very good lineup uh, around him in San Diego. I would like you, Darvish, as well, depending on value. Yeah. I like what you said there. The only thing I don't like is I personally don't feel comfortable with this group being my ace. Um <sighs> I could maybe get behind it, but I really like having one of those other guys that are going to give me solid ERAs and the strikeouts. And with the, this tier we're talking about, you're getting one or the other and you're sacrificing the other. And I don't like the position it puts you in where you're like, okay, now I got this pitcher who's going to give me solid ERAs, but not strikeouts. So now later I have to go and get a, Blake Snell or Hunter Green, who's going to give me the yeah. strikeouts, but yep. now I'm sacrificing ERA. Um, that kind of, I just don't like that hole that it puts you in. I like having that first pitcher to have everything, and then I can go 
later in the draft where it's like, okay, Hunter Green or a, you know, who's a safe guy? Um, trying to think who would go in that, that. Charlie Morton. Like, do I go for the high upside or do I take the safe guy? Well, depends on what I did in the previous. Um, if I have a stud ace, I can choose whichever one I'm feeling at that time. Yeah, you know, no, that, that I, would be my only caveat. I I absolutely agree with you. If I don't if I don't have a pitcher um, above Max Freed, personally, this is my opinion. I'm not going to win any league. Like, you're going to have to do so much making up for for what you said, whether it's roto categories or even or point. work out some trades. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're and also yeah. you're going to have to go pitching heavy for a long time. And I haven't done enough mock drafts. I haven't seen enough mock drafts done to really know what that would look like. You know, if you're able to pair a Max Freed with also a U Darvish and possibly grab a glass now and then immediately grab a Severino. Well, now we're having a different conversation. Um, but doing that seems very difficult with the way pitching goes. So, you know, we'll probably have more input when we start talking about mock drafts, but for right now, I'm fully on board with that, Richie. These are definitely number two guys. Yeah. All right, we'll move into my number 21 through 27, and I think we're doing pretty good on time, Matt. You want to do our other tier after this as well? Yeah, absolutely. Feeling up for it? Let's do it. All right, we'll move into my fourth tier, which I have labeled as my safe number threes. Number 21, I have Christian Javier. Fantastic in the postseason last year. He blew me away with his performances and his strikeout ability. Still sour that you got to trade for him in our <laughs> dynasty league, but we'll move we'll move on from that. Number twenty two, I have you Darvish. Twenty three, his counterpart Joe Musgrove. Number twenty four, I have Kevin Gosman. Simple for the for the simple fact that he was a little inconsistent throughout last season. Number twenty five, I have Zach Gallen. Twenty six, Robbie Ray, and then rounding out this final tier, I have Logan Webb. So there's a lot of hodgepodge of different types of pitchers you get here. Logan Webb, he's going to be consistent with innings and volume, but he's not going to give you the strikeouts. And then you look at Robbie Ray, he's the complete opposite. Not as many innings pitch, but he's going to give you those strikeouts and ratios. Um, I think my favorite out of this group has got to be Christian Javier. This is a guy who I can see leaping all the way into the top 10 next year if he repeats his performance. Um He's easily the one I want to take in this this um, this group here. Besides you, Darvish. Yeah, I mean, I what love Javier, thoughts? but I I want one more I want more one more consistent year from him. If you think about Javier this year, I actually liken him a lot to his teammate Valdez from last year. Very different profiles, but if we remember Valdez coming into last year, there was the pinky issue the year before, and then we had COVID season, so there was a lot of question marks as to who was Framber Valdez. Well, we saw the absolute ceiling for what Framber Valdez was in the 2022 season, and it vaulted him all the way up, all the way up rankings boards, draft boards, everything, right? And Christian Javier coming in at 25, for me at least six spots away from Valdez, we could see that similar growth, as you said, into the top 10 next year if Javier puts together a consistent season. But for me right now at 23, starting off this safe number three pitching tier, um, I actually have Robbie Ray. Because I think Robbie Ray could give me a possibility of a very good number two. Again, there is the variant there. He has up and down seasons. He was a Cy Young winner. We saw a change in pitch mix last year, which leaned heavily on his slider. Started to see that rebound. Started to see that ace come back to form. Definitely pissed me off in the fantasy baseball playoffs because he was back to being a very good pitcher. 
I want to see more consistency, <laughs> though, from Robbie Ray. But I like him as my number three. First in my, my rankings here at 23. Tristan McKenzie comes in at number 24 for me. When you actually look at his slash line from last year, had a very, very nice season. I think there's more growth from him as well. I think the Indians do a very good job of turning these pitchers into the absolute ceiling of their ability. Tristan McKenzie has kind of defied the odds for me in regards to body type and regards to injury. I think we're going to see yet a step forward again from him. I think this could be a kid that actually wins a Cy Young in his career. Um, Does it happen to be a season like in 2023? Is it down the road? I do like him as my number three there at 24. And then comes Christian Javier at number 25. Again, only reason he is falling below these other two is because I need more consistency. And then it comes in at uh, Joe Musgrove, number 26. And then finally wrapping up this tier for me, I have Tyler Glasnow. Absolutely love the upside that we're going to get from Glasnow this season coming back from injury. But he does come at the end of this tier because obviously Musgrove has not had the same injury. Javier has the upside as well, hasn't been injured, so and so forth. Glasnow coming back from Tommy John. There is going to be an innings cap there. Yeah, I, I like I like what you have in the tier. I'm very similar. I have Tristan McKenzie and Tyler Glasnow in my next tier, which we'll talk about. But um, my concern with Tyler Glasnow is can he stay healthy? And that is a concern for me. And I'm probably not touching Tyler Glasnow in any of my drafts. Um, just for the simple fact of I need to see you back to form and spending a top 100 pick on you is just not something I feel comfortable doing. And that's, that's my, that's my piece on it. And I, I may be, I may regret it because when Tyler Glasnell's healthy, he performs like a top 15 pitcher and I could be wrong here, but that's just my, my take and I'm going to stand by it. Well, and price, di- price dictates, right? Like this is, with, with everything we do with rankings, at the end of the day, the truth is the price and the position you are in your draft dictates what you're going to do. Like we talked about, if you're sitting with Alec Manoa as your number one ace, you're probably going to have absolutely no choice but to take Tyler Glasnow for the upside. You know, you need to start taking bigger risks. But if you're sitting with a Garrett Cole as well as possibly a Brandon Woodruff, you're probably not taking Glasnow. You know, it, it just pairs in so differently per draft. Um, and the reason I have him at 27 is because just on pure performance, I would rather have him than over everyone below him. And if he's healthy, awesome. And if he's not, well, the guys below him don't blow me off the, you know, blow me off the page. So that that's my thought process there. Okay, fair enough. All right, we'll move into my last tier, and I have it listed as my high ceiling, low floor number threes. And I really like this tier a lot. I I think you can get a lot of value. I'm very, very much at least want to get one or two of these guys in any any of my drafts, preferably as my number threes, but I'm okay with them as my number twos. At number 28, I have Tristan McKenzie. I like everything you said about him. I just can't put him into my safe number threes because he does have a low floor. I feel with that that body type of him. He's like 150 pounds, but he's six foot five. Soaking Doesn't wet. Make sense. <laughs> yeah. Soaking wet. Dripping yeah. wet. Makes no sense. N- number 29. I have George Kirby. Interesting thing about George Kirby that not many people know is he's got an amazing fastball. Everybody knows that. He's got the command. A lot of people know that. But what they don't know is he had a horrible slider that was classified as the cutter but late last season he changed his grip and tried to change it and at the athletic actually put together a nice little article on it um they have a stuff plus which measures each pitch individually and his slider was 
below average at 99. He changed his grip so that he'd get more horizontal movement and vertical movement, and it increased up to a 106. Um, the one thing he had to sacrifice was he couldn't locate it as much, and he lost uh, miles per hour on his slider. So he was throwing 88, 89, 90 on his cutter slash slider that didn't have much movement. It dropped to 84, 85, 86, but he increased um, his strikeout rate. He had 36 and a third innings with 43 strikeouts and a 2.48 ERA since introducing this new slider. And he came out and said he's hoping to locate it more because um, he's a command guy and he's hoping to get his miles per hour back up to that 88, 89, 90 miles an hour. So we know he has it in him. He's working on it, and I think this is one of the biggest breakouts that I'm. I'm invested. I'm all in on George Kirby. If he can get, if he can locate this new slider and he can get the three to four miles an hour back on it, now you got a command guy with a fastball and a new slider. On top of it, his changeup and curveball, which are average, but they are show me pitches that get keep the batters off track. I think this is a guy who's the ceiling is immense. Then number thirty, I have Blake Snell. Um, contract year was fantastic at the end of the season. I think he's motivated, like we talk about. 31, I have Tyler Glass now. He easily could jump up. Number 32, I have Nestor Cortez. Two years in a row, he has pitched phenomenal. And then number 33 and 34, I probably don't get a lot of these guys, but I have Logan Gilbert, pretty solid. Um, I, I don't think the ceiling's as high as the other guys. And then Kyle Wright probably would be higher, but he did. he is dealing with some shoulder issues and had a cortisone shot. So he dropped a little bit of my rankings. I probably would have him closer to Tristan McKenzie and George Kirby, if not for the injury. So Matt kind of talked a lot there. What are your thoughts on all of these pitchers? Yeah. The Kyle Wright injury scares the shit out of me. I, I would have him probably sitting right in between Kevin Gosman and you Darvish at 21, 22 range. Um, that's how high I think of him before the injury, but I have a shoulder injury and I'll tell you right now, I probably need a cortisone shot. And, um, <laughs> that scares the shit out of me because I know how much pain you must be in to need a cortisone shot. And I would have to just assume it was because of the amount of innings he pitched last year. It, it, if we looked at his numbers, which I don't have in front of me right now, I would imagine it would be the absolute most professionally he's pitched because he pitched so well and he got so many wins and he was out there all year. It was a breakout campaign. It cemented him in that Braves rotation. And while as much as we saw last year with a lot of luck from him as well, I was already going to be projecting a bit of a downcrease in production this season because, again, he had a lot of luck. He had a lot of health last year. Um, so th there is a lot of concern with Kyle Wright for me. I'm going to tell you right now, Logan Gilbert, um, I'm talking about absolute bust this season. I had him last year in Dynasty. I watched him, again, a lot of luck. He got out of a lot of jam situations. His strikeout rate just doesn't fall in line with something that I would like for a guy that's going to put himself in bad positions. Uh, don't necessarily like his pitch mix. I, I'm expecting Logan Gilbert to possibly push a four ERA this season and have some struggles. And I think George Kirby is going to go down as the best pitcher um, out of the two. And I don't even think it's going to be close. I think Kirby will probably coming into the 2024 season next year, fall right in line with that tier. I just talked about that Framber Valdez, Alec Manoa, Kevin Gosman 
you Darvish area. I think he's going to be a very, very solid number two in fantasy lineups. I think the only thing holding him back from being a true bona fide possible ace is the fact that he's just not a true strikeout pitcher. Could this new slider, could the secondary slider change that? It could, but I just don't think he's ever going to be a guy that dominates with the strikeout. He is more of the control, does have the velocity, but I think he's his upside for me, his ceiling is probably a very good number two, which you have to be happy for. And where he's being drafted right now, I think he can provide that this season. Um, so love Kirby, but kind of kicking this off for me, I have two guys at 28, 29 that I think are consistent-based players before we get into our risk-based players. And that's going to be Zach Gallon at 28 and Logan Webb at 29. These are guys I'm targeting if I'm really just looking for the innings, looking for the consistency. Obviously, we had the forearm strain, the flexor strain for Zach Gallon a couple years ago. He has proven that that's no longer an issue. Absolutely came out last year and provided consistency for you. Logan Webb, a little bit less uh, consistency in regards to his overall ability. But I do like the fact that you're going to get innings. I love the ballpark. I think we might see a step forward for him this year. But I think at this point, we know what Logan Webb is. At 30, the aforementioned Kyle Wright comes in. I couldn't drop him any lower because at the end of the day, I do think if he can come back and provide opening day impact, you're getting a good, solid pitcher. Uh, And the rest of these guys that I have beyond him have their question marks as well. Luis Severino coming in at 31. We saw the injury history with his career. We've seen the immense upside. I need to see more consistency, but I absolutely love taking him in this position here because we do know that you could get a top 20 guy if he stays healthy all season. Dustin May is coming in at 32. Big, big time breakout potential here. Obviously going to have concerns about the innings. He is in the Dodgers organization, so they have manipulated their starting pitchers multiple times to our lament before. Uh, Coming in at 33, this is a very aggressive placement. um, And I'm not going to say that because I own him. I just think we're talking about an immense uh, bounce back. That is Jack Flaherty at 33. I think Flaherty could easily pitch a top 15 performance this year. It is a contract year. And if we remember back to 2019, he had a stretch there where he was a top five pitcher in the game. I do need to see consistency from him, though. The shoulder injury scares me, and it's it's his time to make or break, uh, literally in the bank. And then finally, Nestor Cortez uh, is going to finish it out for me at 34. No, actually, we'll go Nestor Cortez at 34, and I'm going to go with George Kirby, 35. I love both of these players. I think with as much risk as you're taking there from 31 through 33, Cortez and Kirby are going to be guys that are consistent for you. Kind of think of the same thing with Gallon and Webb. Uh, but for me, just don't have the same kind of upside that Flaherty, Severino, and Dustin Makia uh, have with their ceilings. Yeah, I like I like what you, you said there. I do have Severino and Dustin May and Flaherty a little bit lower in my rankings, and it's simply for the injury risks and what they're currently dealing with. Dustin May is working back from Tommy John. I'm worried about him having that innings workload. Jack Flaherty, I, I don't believe in the bounce back like you do. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I think he can get back to being average, but I, I don't think we're going to see an ace like outcome for Jack Flaherty and Luis Severino. I love him. I love when he's healthy. He has that ace upside, but he's been injured for the last three, four years, and I can't I can't get behind it. Um, so one of those things, again, where I talk about I need to see it before I believe it, and I just might, I just might be the one guy that misses out on all these bounce backs, but um, there are other guys that are healthy that I will be um, jumping all over, um, like the George Kirby's, like um, the Hunter Greens, um, who we haven't even talked about yet. Maybe some Kodai Senga. 
Um, so I think that's just where we differ um, with the rankings on those three guys. Yeah, and and again, that's that's why we both do our rankings, right? You know, we we have a different approach here, and especially in this tier, you know, I'm going aggressive. Like I I'm going make or break. Like this is the this is where for me I'm winning or losing my draft. If I can get a guy like you know Severino, May, or Flaherty, and I can I like the price point and I like where my build currently is, I'm jumping up and down. Uh, for you, if you can get George Kirby in this er- this area, you're jumping up and down. You want more of the consistency. I want more of the boomer bust. And for me, I have faith in a lot of my leagues that hey, say I miss Dustin May, right? Say he just can't knock the rust off, and 2024 is his breakout. Well. I'm just going to hope that I can go out and figure out a way to find the next Kyle Wright because year after year, we're able to do it. Now, again, though, we're doing this fantasy baseball podcast because that's what we enjoy the most. And those of you that don't maybe spend as much time probably don't get the Kyle Wrights, probably don't get the Carlos Rodons. So it might be a safer bet for you to take the George Kirby approach. Um, it's all preference-based, and it's it's all how you want to construct your draft. Yeah, I like I get where you're coming from with that, but I like having that consistency and then picking up the Kyle Wrights and the Carlos Rodons. And now you have options. You have um, the ability to to mix and match based on matchups if you want. And now you've provided pitching depth. So now don't, don't get me wrong, because there is pro- I'm probably going to draft at least one or two of these injury-prone guys. Um, I might end up with a Jack Flaherty because he falls so late in drafts. Or I might end up with a Luis Severino if, you know, I did go pitching or hitting heavy and I'm lacking a number two or three and now I need to get some upside. I could see myself drafting a Luis Severino. So I don't want to knock your strategy, but I like having consistency at the top of my pitching rotation. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I agree. And it's Flaherty's hard. You know, I, I, I roster him in a dynasty league and I, I tried to do these rankings if I were to, doing a, to be doing a redraft. And even before the shoulder injury, there was shaky inconsistency from Flaherty, dating back to that explosion in 2019. And I kind of always revert back to the comments he made about the, the Cardinals medical staff and you know the issues he was having with the staff, which leads me to believe there was an injury predating the injury. And obviously you saw him come back early last season from that shoulder injury and then immediately go back down and take an extended period of time off. I'm just hoping at this point that a full off season was enough for him to get fully healthy because he came back last year at the end of the year and performed okay. He wasn't an ace by any means. He wasn't even, you know, a version of himself per se. He was average. But you're talking about an incredibly good team with a great lineup in a poor division. Um, even the team that's going to challenge them, the Milwaukee Brewers, isn't a powerhouse hitting team. So he has an absolute opportunity to feast. Same thing with Severino, Dustin May. Um, it will be a very interesting season for a lot of these guys. This is the tier right here, though, you know, from your tiers and my tiers, where if you can hit on a couple of these guys, it can completely change your draft because you can either be more aggressive or you can be more conservative moving forward, depending on what strategy you take. Yeah, no, and I think depending on what happens over the next couple of weeks with spring training, if Jack Flaherty has his yes. velocity back, if he has yes. his health, I think we can see him jump 25, 50, maybe even 100 spots in these drafts because just because he's going outside the 200 now doesn't mean he will be in a couple weeks. So we could be, this could be a moot point by the time draft season is done. 
Or the exact opposite, right? You know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the things to look for from the hitting perspective. If Jack Flaherty comes out, the velocity's down, you know, he can't locate. Um, you might talk- not even be drafted. Yeah, exactly. You might you might have a completely different outlook on yeah, him. Yeah, so absolutely. Full, fully agree that is- we're, we're two days in. <laughs> so Yeah, right. No, I hear you. And um, yeah, those those of you that are listening, you know, when when you listen to this, Richie and I have done our rankings this uh, this off season in a tiered approach. We were releasing them every Monday and every Wednesday, so you know you may listen to this in a week. Uh, Jack Flaherty may have thrown two perfect games, or uh, he might have become a construction worker. So just be mindful <laughs> of that. You know, we are a little non time sensitive here. Um, and these rankings, you know, probably won't change too much for us, but with that being said, spring training has started just yesterday. So, um, look forward to obviously our pitching rankings tier, uh, excuse me, part two next time. We'll also get into relief pitchers, kind of talk about some of the breakouts for starting pitchers, some of the guys to watch for relief pitchers. And then, you know, we'll, we will kind of transition more into what's going on in spring training breakouts, doing some mock drafts. So we have a lot for you. All right, Richie. So that wraps us for today. Uh, Thank you again for listening, everyone. We will see you next time.